I want to talk to you about the cross. You know, the cross, that symbol of Christianity that we see everywhere. It's on buildings, it's on billboards, it's on t-shirts. We wear it around our necks. Sometimes they're wooden, sometimes they're metal, sometimes they're ornate, sometimes they're simple. We give crosses away to people at a significant occasion. The cross is something that we're around. It represents Christianity to people who may have nothing to do with Christianity. They associate it with our religion. But is it only about a religion or is it about a relationship? Do we know what the cross really means and signifies? We wear it, we talk about it, we're around it. What does it really mean? So over the next number of weeks as we march towards Easter, you know, Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Christ, and it's so easy to skip over crucifixion and get to resurrection. But we're not going to do that this year. This year we're going to take our time as we work our way towards resurrection and look at, linger at the cross and listen to words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Our Savior tells us what the cross is about. If we would stop and listen and linger, because at the highest level, the widest angle, the cross shouts love. I mean, that's the easiest, simple way to define what it's about. It's about love, that God so loved the world that He took this form of execution and shouted from that cross, I love the world. I care about the world. I love you. I care about you. And it's not what we would think we would hear at the cross. But sometimes we just are moving too fast and we don't stop and look and listen. And if you would stop and look and listen to the cross of Jesus Christ, to what Jesus is going to say, then the cross moves past being a good luck charm to you or a religious symbol to you, but it starts to change you from the inside out. That's what God wants to do in you through his love. Would you pray with me? God, the cross is so hyper-familiar to us. Many of us have heard the story of the crucifixion countless times. It would be tempted to fall asleep now and to check out. Oh God, keep us from that. Young and old, mature and immature, allow us to lean into your words from the cross that we might hear of your love again. And for those who are here today and may be hearing this love for the first time, I pray that their hearts would be open, that you, God, would draw men and women, young and old, to yourself, because when Jesus is lifted up upon the cross, he draws all men and women unto himself. So do that, I pray, today, here in this room, online, in the chapel. I ask this in Christ's name, amen. For us to understand the love of God that comes through the cross, we have to zoom out a little bit and kind of have a bigger picture context of what's taking place. So God is love and he creates the world in love. He so loved the world that he made us. We so loved ourselves that we ignored him. We reject him. We walk away from him. We rebel against him. We do our own thing. We're self-centered. 
And he knows that the cost of that is separation. He loves us so much that he wants to bring us to himself. So he promised way back in the beginning that he would send Jesus to die and rise again that we might have life. And in the course of time, he sent his one and only son into the world. And this is just incredible. The Son of God shows up. And I love how John who writes the Gospel of John, describes Jesus. He says, Jesus came from the Father, so the eternal Son of God comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. And He pitches a tent alongside us. He lives among us. He is flesh and blood and comes to us, brings heaven to us. He comes. And John says that Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize him. I mean, would you think if you were walking along a dusty road 2,000 years ago that you would bump into God? Of course the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And, and this is love, that we're separated from God, but that He would make a way for us to come into His family. He doesn't force Himself. He offers Himself to us. When Jesus came, He was like any boy his age, any teenager his age, any man his age. When he was a child, he laughed and played and fell and stubbed his toe and learned to eat with a spoon and had good days and bad days and understood grief and sorrow. He was tempted like us in every way, the Bible says, but he never sinned. I mean, this is incredible. That he faced all the temptations. When I say all the temptations, I mean all the temptations you face, and yet consistently never once gave in to those temptations because he learned to love his Father. He learned to obey his Father. He learned to love his Father and not love his feelings. He learned to obey his Father and not his feelings. So he resisted every temptation that came his way. He learned how to be a carpenter. He learned how to love God. He learned how to love people. And he begins to love people and serve people. And at the right time and in the right way, his father says, it's time for you to start talking about my kingdom. And Jesus obeyed his father. And he begins to talk about the kingdom of God. And he starts to heal people with the power of God. And he serves people with the love of God. And people are magnetized to him. I mean, rich and poor, young and old, want to be around Jesus. The sick and the well, the religious and the people that are not religious, they all just want to come to Jesus, be connected to Jesus, because they knew that if they were around Jesus, there was something about how he loved that was so divine, so otherworldly, so unique, so magnetic, so holy, that just drew people to him. The only ones that didn't like being around him with those fundamentalists. You don't like being around them either, do you? You know those hyper-religious people that make super high spiritual hurdles? You have to jump over this hurdle and you have to walk through this hoop and you gotta do this and read that and know this and know that and wear this and wear that and don't do this and don't do that. Jesus didn't like those types of people either. And he called them out. He called them out for the show and the sham that they were. and said, what you're talking about is a bunch of bunk and they hated him for it. They hated and rejected him because he was a threat. Love is always a threat. 
It's always a real love, full love, magnificent love is always a threat. And they wanted to kill him. And their time came. One of Jesus' disciples was fed up with him too and sold him out. It happened in a dark garden and the cover of darkness. He sells out Jesus. Jesus wasn't surprised by it. He knew it was coming. He came purposefully, knowing he would walk right into this trap, this betrayal, this cross. He wanted to seek and save the lost. That was his mission, so he did it. He wasn't surprised. He was tied up and brought in front of the fundamentalists, the religious people, where he was falsely accused and judgment was placed on him. He was a blasphemer. He's undermining God. But the Jewish leadership didn't want to do the dirty work themselves, so they give him over to the Roman Empire and say, this Jesus, this love is undermining the Roman Empire, and you got to take him out. No, he isn't doing it. That's not what he's doing at all. Yes, he is. Crucify him. They give in to the pressure. You know that cross you wear around your neck that's shiny? pretty. It's the single worst way humanity has come up with killing someone. It wasn't bad enough for Jesus to just be betrayed. It wasn't bad enough for him to be mocked. It wasn't bad enough that they took spit from the depths of their soul and spewed it in his face. It wasn't bad enough, so they crucified him. Before they did that, as if that's not bad enough, they scourged him. I mean, that was their way of torture. They took a leather strap and they pushed bone and glass into a bunch of leather straps and they hit him with it on his back. One, two, three, four, 21, 22, 23, 24, 31, 32, 33, 34, tore the flesh off his back. If it wasn't bad enough, made him carry his cross. He, he was half dead already. Made him carry his cross. He couldn't. Somebody else had to do it for him. Take him to the top of a hill. They strip his clothes off him. Son of God, naked and bloody. Hold him down, drive nails into his hands, into his feet, fasten him to the cross, pick the cross up, drop it in a hole, his body bleeding, lurching, his soul in utter anguish. Don't look away. Don't look away. Don't say this is too graphic. I like the PG version. Give me the G version, Joe. I don't want the rated R version. Don't look away. Don't ignore what took place on the cross. No stop, linger, look at it, stare at it. Because if you look away, here's what you miss. You miss love. You miss the greatest most expansive representation, substitution, gift of love ever given to humanity. That this 
Son of God, promised before the foundations of the earth to rescue humanity, would come and experience all of that. It screams love, but if you look away, if you're unwilling to lean in, the cross is your good luck charm and your religion. But you look at it, lean into it, it begins to change you, it begins to thaw your heart of stone, begins to change you, make you different, and resurrect things that are dead in you, that you might live and love like Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Open them up, turn them on. And I want you to listen. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, full of grace and truth, comes to earth, loves God perfectly, loves his neighbor perfectly. He is tortured on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. The historian, Dr. Luke, writes these things about this scene that he researched he says in Luke 23, verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. With the criminals led out to be executed to the place of the skull, they cr crucified him there. And listen to what Jesus says. Here's his first words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In the face of this horrific cruelty and injustice, he says, Father, forgive them. Are you kidding me? I mean, Jersey Joe wants to say a whole lot of other things if I'm nailed to a cross. Not, Father, forgive them. Father, rescue me. Father, stop this. Father, wipe them out. Father, show them who you are and who I am. Father, forgive them? This is what we can't look away from because this is love. Don't look away. In this suffering moment, we see love in its truest form. Father, forgive them as a prayer. Did you notice that? He's speaking to God. Father, forgive them as a prayer. You see, in this moment, there's a lot of things Jesus can't do that he used to do. In the past, Jesus' two feet, he would walk throughout Palestine talking about the kingdom of God. In other moments, he used his mouth to speak about the love of God. At other times, he used his hands to heal with the power of God. In other moments, he taught the twelve about how to be a disciple of God. In this moment, he can't do any of those things. His hands are nailed. His mouth is pasty dry. His feet are secured. His friends, his disciples have deserted him. He's completely alone. And what does he do? He prays. Everything has been taken from him. His dignity, his friends, his freedom, his health, 
Now we'll see who the real Jesus is. Now if we look closely, we'll find out, is this just a good moral teacher, a nice guy, a prophet? Who is this guy? Now we see his true colors. He prays to his Father because he knows his Father. He trusts his Father. He believes his Father hears him. He knows his Father has not abandoned him. He knows his Father has a plan and a purpose. And he looks at the people around him and his heart is so full of love that he prays a prayer of love and kindness over people. You want to know who Jesus is? You look at him on the cross and you don't look away. Who is Jesus praying for? Who is he praying for? Okay, certainly he's speaking about all the people that have just done this to him, right? So people have mocked him, falsely accused him, betrayed him, spit on him, whipped him, nailed him, just done the worst to him. Is he speaking about those people? Father, forgive them? Absolutely. Is it that he's speaking more? I think so, because do you see this loving disclaimer he gives? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. They are ignorant of who you are and who I am. Because if they knew who I am, if they knew who you were, if they could see all of this, they wouldn't nail. They wouldn't whip, they wouldn't flog, they wouldn't mock. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in the book of Acts, Peter preaches a sermon, and I think he expands our understanding of this idea of what was going on when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. In Acts chapter 3, Peter says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. Peter says this, after Christ has been crucified, placed in a tomb, rose again, ascended back to God, Peter's preaching and says, the God of Abraham has glorified his servant Jesus. You guys handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Now, Fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold throughout all the prophets, saying that this Messiah must suffer. You see, God promised he would rescue a broken, sinful world. He promised that he would come and out of ignorance, Christ was killed. But God had a bigger plan, a greater promise to fulfill. And here it is. Forgiveness is necessary because ignorance is not innocence. And I just want you to let that sit in for a moment. Why would God do this? Why did this happen? God wanted to secure forgiveness for the entire human race. Why? Because we're all ignorant. Yes, we are all ignorant, but none of us are innocent. Oh, the people there, they didn't know who Jesus was. They couldn't see who Jesus was. They didn't realize what they were doing. But even if they did, they're never innocent. I am not innocent. You are not innocent. None of us are innocent. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have worshipped ourselves. 
We've sought our own interests. We've done our own thing. We live to honor ourselves. And before God, that is guilt. And guilt requires payment, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, though we are ignorant, none of us are innocent. And so when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He is praying for me. He's praying for you. He's praying for all of humanity. We have no idea what we're doing and what we're worshiping and what we're obeying and what we're following and what we're ignoring and what, who we're not loving. We have no idea. We are all guilty But while the blood is still warm in Jesus' body, he looks at our guilt and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He talks to God, trusts God, loves people. He gets that we desperately need forgiveness and secures it for us at the highest price. Don't look away. Because the next lines that Luke records further show the ignorance of humanity and the incredible love of God. Luke says in verse 35, people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. Jesus is on the cross before him, gasping for breath, suffering in agony. The people stood there watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said... He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's endured this agony, out of love, stays on that cross, prays a prayer of forgiveness over every human. And what do the people at the foot of the cross do? Save yourself, Jesus. Save yourself, Jesus. Do something if you're God. Fix this. Save it. If you're God, show yourself now. Jesus had a choice in that moment. He could save himself or save us. He chose us. I mean, Just hear that love. He could have saved his own skin. He could have said to God, stop this now. Instead, faced with the choice of save his own skin, he loved you and every person in this world so much that he said, no, if I rescue me, They are separated from God forever. I choose them. I love people. I love broken people. I love people that are ignorant, that fall into temptation, that struggle. I love people that mock me and toss me under the bus. I love all men and all women from every tribe and nation. I love people. I choose them, not preserve me. In the face of this incredible agony, he doesn't save himself. He loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth 
nor anything else in all of creation will will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The greatest act of love is right there on the cross. Don't look away. Don't block your ears and not listen. Don't wish it was cleaner. Wish it was better. We have a hard time looking at love. This week, he bumped into this guy. He's trying to pay for something. He doesn't have his wallet, doesn't have enough cash. Three bucks, I pull out. I give him the cash just to help him. I don't know who he is. It's not a big deal. It's three bucks. He can't even look at me. He thanks me and puts his head down. He can't look at me because you can't look at love that's so great. If you can't look at love for three bucks, imagine love that does this and bleeds and gasps and dies. We look away because love this incredible, this cosmic, this wonderful, it's just too good to be true and it makes us feel almost embarrassed, almost ashamed. You love me that much? If you look at it, You let it penetrate. It changes. What do you do with this? How do you handle it? You see, the love of Jesus is to be enjoyed. I I mean, I'm painting this historic picture of the crucifixion of Christ, which is graphic and real and R-rated. But it is love. And if someone gives you a priceless gift, what do you do with it? You enjoy it. You praise it. You sing about it. You talk about it. You rest in it. You live for it. You love it in return. You lean into it. You accept it. You roll in it. You experience the fullness of it. You don't fall asleep and you don't look away. You say thank you a thousand times in every word and every language you could speak. You enjoy. Love this cosmic, but what you don't do is look away. You don't fall asleep, and you don't, oh, look at my cross, good luck charm. This is love that's enjoyed and experienced. Here's what you do with love. This kind of love of Jesus is to be extended. I mean, if if you cannot look away, if you can receive it and experience it and let it penetrate your concrete heart and let it work itself into your pores, when you experience this kind of love, the only thing you can do is extend it to other people. If you can't extend it, then I don't know if it's penetrated. So when you are pressed and pulled and in a corner and your hands are tied and you have nowhere else to go and nowhere else to turn, what do you do? Jesus showed me. You call out to God and you trust God and you obey God and you follow God and you know that in the hardest, most difficult moment, season of your life where you think God has abandoned you, you know He's real and present, you call out to Him knowing He hears you and He will act on your behalf when you're pressed and you've been abused and mistreated by someone, when the cards are stacked against you and it seems like the world is all against you, what do you do? Jesus 
prays for the people that persecuted him. Jesus forgives the people that have hurt him. When this incredible love begins to seep into your concrete heart and my concrete heart and starts to break up my heart and make it soft and resurrects it to something new and alive, then I can begin to extend love to other people. And when I extend love to other people, I may get to the point where I can begin to pray for people that have hurt me. And as I begin to pray to my Father in heaven who sees all of this, I begin to pray for the people that have hurt me, I could get to the point where I might just forgive the people that have hurt me and you want to see resurrection of your life, resurrection of purpose, resurrection of peace, when the love of God so washes over you, it so changes you, you experience it in its fullness, it begins to percolate out of you, you begin to pray for your enemies, and you begin to forgive your enemies. And the King of Kings and Lord of Lords works through you to show his love to a dying world. The cross of Jesus Christ shouts love and gives love to all who would receive it and welcome it. It begins to thaw, change, transform you into someone who is like the Son of God. Pray with me. This cosmic love is hard to fathom. We confess to you, we look away, because grace and mercy is hard to receive as shameful, sinful people. Oh God, your sons and daughters in this place today have welcomed you into their hearts. Many have welcomed you into their hearts, and we tend to look away and not stare at, linger at the cross, awaken us once again to this great love. May we enjoy it and celebrate it and praise it, never stop talking about it, never remain silent, be so transformed by love that we extend it to the people around us, even our enemies. May we forgive as we have been forgiven. God, in this place today, online, or in the chapel, in the center, people may be hearing this for the first time. Please, God, thaw and break through hard hearts and draw men and women into your family through the sacrifice of Christ. All who call upon you, Jesus, will be saved, adopted into the kingdom of God forever. You, victorious Christ, have shown us the full extent of love. May we worship you, honor you, praise you forever and ever. In Christ's name, amen.